This podcast explores the commonality between our DMB brothers and sisters to demonstrate the true strength and depth of our family. We have all shared the soundtrack in our best and worst moments, and with that fact, we argue that we're never truly alone when the music is playing. So sit back, relax, and welcome to the best of what's around. Welcome to DMB On Demand. Hey friends, Bridget here again, wrapping up DMB history for season two. Andrew, thanks for a great season. Every episode is a blessing. This time we're going back to 2013 and 2014. In the spring of 2013, Dave Matthews Band headlined Jazz Fest in New Orleans, performing in torrential rain and Atlanta's The Big Dance Concert Series during the NCAA Final Four weekend. The group's summer tour featured lots of rarely played songs and earned them a spot on Rolling Stone's list of the 50 greatest live acts right now. The run topped Billboard's Hot Tours chart in September. As the year drew to a close, Dave Matthews Band embarked on its first ever tour of South Africa, which featured an opening set by Vusi Malasala and a special guest performance from Hugh Masakala. The band ended the year with a series of South American dates in December. Four new live tracks, four new live tracks albums, volumes 24, 25, 26, 27, and 28 were released in 2013. And live tracks volume 1, 2, and 3 were re-released on vinyl in conjunction with Record Store Day. The DMB Live series continued with three new digital downloads. The Bama Works Fund awarded grants to the West. Texas Disaster Relief Efforts Fund following the fertilizer plant explosion in the small Texas community to the Innocence Project, to the Crozet Library, and to numerous Charlottesville area charities. In April 2014, Dave Matthews Bandit embarked on its first Australian run since 2005. Playing five concerts in four cities, the group took a new approach to its annual summer North American tour. A very special evening with Dave Matthews Band featured DMB performing two sets at each show and winding through, winding through many different configurations from electric to acoustic, from full throttle numbers featuring the entire band to more intimate moments featuring small groups of band members. Lovely ladies who had last performed with DMB in 2001 joined the group on stage on numerous dates. The traditional Labor Day weekend shows at the Gorge Amphitheater in Washington featured the return of Dave Matthews Band Caravan. DMB played two headline sets each night. Brandy Carlisle performed daily and the Caravan stage hosted performances by Blind Pilot, Shovels and Amp, Rope, Anna Tijo, J.D. McPherson, Bombino, Dumpstafunk, Moon Taxi, David Ryan Harris, and Betsy Olson. The band also spent time in studio working with producer Rob Cavallo on a new album. DMB's early history was celebrated with a limited edition Record Store Day release of Live Tracks 4, a 20th anniversary reissue of Remember Two Things. A Black Friday Record Store Day release of recently featuring the rare Pumpkin, released alongside the original EP, and Under the Table and Dreaming, all available for the first time ever on vinyl. Volumes 29, 30, and 31 in the CD-DVD package of 32 from the live track series were released over the course of the year. Thanks again, guys. everybody so for the final episode of season two we decided to turn the tables and bring on our very first guest jesse and let him take the role as the moderator asking me questions Um, some of them will be the same questions that i've asked each guest that came onto the show Uh, and there might be some new ones mixed in as well that i'm not aware of so it should be a pretty good interview, and if you wanted to get to know the host behind the podcast a little bit, then you'll enjoy this 
quite a bit. So, Jesse, I'm going to hand it over to you and let you take it away with the first question. Hi, everyone. My name is Jesse. You might remember me from Season 1, Episode 1 of the DMB On Demand podcast, where I talked about my life while in college and where I was hoping my future would lead. Today, I'm back to flip the script, so to speak, where instead of Drew interviewing me, I'll be interviewing him. This is a great way for us as a community to get to know him on an even deeper level, and we'll be doing that through the same Q&A format that Drew has used to interview us. So, Drew, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about what you do for a living and what your interests and hobbies are? Uh, I spent most of my adult career life in hospitality, uh, managing different hotels, a regional manager, uh, and I did graphic and web design on the side. And it got to the point where I was looking forward to the weekends to be able to do graphic design and I was dreading Monday going back into the office. So I decided to give it a shot and do freelance graphic design and web design full time. Uh, and. It ended up being better than I could imagine. Uh, it's no longer a job. I'm, I love what I'm paid to do. Um, I do freelance for quite a few companies. Uh, the biggest one is iHeartMedia. Um, and also it's allowed my wife and I to travel. She's a traveling nurse. And so I can work anywhere that has an internet connection. So every three months, well, three to six months, we move to a different part of the country. We've been in the northeast part of the country. We've been down south into Florida, and then we drove all the way from Florida to Washington State, um, and now we're in California. And soon here, we're gonna be going home for the holidays for three months, but then we pick back up for our second round of East Coast locations in 2021. Uh, we're gonna be going back up to New Hampshire and Maine, New York City, uh, South Carolina, and then I think we're going to be settled down and ready to put a deposit down on a house and start thinking about children and, and putting some roots down. But uh, that's kind of a nutshell it's what I do for a living and how I do it now that we're on the road. And that's that's really about it. Everything that I love, I pour into my designs. So. Uh, I work on them at night when I'm sitting and watching TV with my wife. I work on them in the daytime when she's at work. It's, it's something that kind of takes up my whole uh, plate, so to speak, and I wouldn't have it any other way. What inspired you to create DMB On Demand? So DMB On Demand has grown in several phases over the past 10 years or so. Uh, at first, I was just an avid DMB fan and wanted to see what I could do under that umbrella of the DMB family. So I started a Twitter account and a Facebook group. In its earlier days, we actually started the hashtag and uh, movement of DMB Couch Tour that started on DMB On Demand's Twitter account, our good friend Corey would spend the evenings of the show uh, putting together facts about the show, facts about the venue, getting live pictures from the show, live videos, and channeling it all into one stream. Of course, DMB Couch Tour has now become its own amazing brand, and I highly suggest that you, you Google DMB Couch Tour and see what they're doing. It's, it's really good work that they're putting out there. So that's how it started. Um, and then I made a Facebook group just to kind of develop some friendships underneath the umbrella of DMB and the DMB family. That grew into wanting to share my, my music vault. I have arguably one of the biggest uh, vaults of music for DMB. I have every single official item from live tracks to uh, the Boots series from Blenheim. Um, and I wanted to, to share the live recordings and the free trade recordings that I had with other people. So it kind of grew into that for a while. Uh, we started a website, DMB On Demand, and this was before YouTube was really kicking off. So we had 
a couple hundred shows of DMB and I, I took the time to break those all down into individual videos. We had a couple thousand videos uh, on dmbondemand.com. We ended up getting in contact uh, with Patrick Jordan from Red Light Management and he had some concerns because the, the band wasn't even doing anything on this level yet and uh, they didn't want to put the cart before the horse, so they asked us to thin it down, which we did. And then it got to the point where it just wasn't going to have the longevity that I foresaw uh, with the website. So we shut that down. We started back up our Twitter. Um, that was sort of the story through the middle age of DMB On Demand. Uh, and then we started everything back up recently. We started doing the song of the day with the artwork I make that goes with the songs to doing weekly polls of DMB songs where people vote for their favorite and then the favorites go head to head on the weekend. Uh, DMB On Demand Facebook group is still a hub for uh, people who want to share the music and share their experiences. And we started up an online shop on dmbondemand.com we since moved that over to Etsy. Uh, it's just a much better selling platform with Etsy. You can find a whole bunch of DMB related merch and materials. We do custom designs. If people want to add dates, names, locations, whatever to the designs, we do custom designs for people. And then finally, we started up the podcast. I developed all of these connections and friendships over the years. and. I just wanted to explore those a little bit more because I had the feeling that we had more in common than we could possibly imagine through the music in our worst times and best times. And I thought that was worth exploring. So we started up the podcast and started interviewing uh, friends that we've made throughout the years. And it's been kind of illuminating to see, again, just how similar we all are in our ups and downs and how the music has impacted us in a similar fashion, yet still distinct to the individual listener. Uh, it's kind of a, a quirky thing that we're finding that, that it's such a unique experience, but there's so much commonality at the same time. It's, it's really interesting to explore that. And that brings us up to the current with DMB On Demand. What is your favorite DMB song and why? So, full disclosure, I lived uh, a greater part of my young adult life with an undiagnosed mental illness, uh, specifically bipolar type 2. It's the lesser of the two uh, types of bipolar, but uh, it's still something that is, is hard to deal with if you're not getting professional mental health and the right medication. So for most of my life from maybe age 10 up until two years ago, I dealt with a lot of conflict because I didn't have this diagnosed nor was I getting the help that I so needed. And so I was kind of a, a miserable prick to be honest with you. and. The reason for that is there was such internal conflict inside of me, and I didn't know how to deal with that. It reminds me of the New Testament where Paul says, you know, what I do, I don't want to do. What I think, I don't want to think. I, I have no control over it. I, I felt that that was eerily similar to my life. I lived in this state of conflict with myself, and... I thought I had heard all the DMB songs, but on a winter day, I was outside waiting for a bus to go to college, and it was sleeting and snowing, that really wet, heavy snow, and there was no awning for me to stand under. I was just getting wet and cold and miserable, and I had my headphones in, and a song from DMB came on that I had never heard before called Number 27, and, you know, if people are familiar with DMB, that song is about conflict. You know, I'm sick of war like I'm sick of peace. I'm sick of sound like I'm sick of silence. Uh, it, it taught or it told about conflict 
And it made me feel okay being myself, that it was okay to have this conflict. I'm still me. And as long as I know my quote unquote way back home, like the the song suggests, and as long as I live my life by my terms and I'm okay with those terms, then it was okay to be me. Now, it was no substitute for the mental health I eventually got that totally transformed my life for the better. Um, But that song gave me a, a great amount of peace in just being myself. And that's a feeling that I had sought after for many, many years. And uh, it was a great gift the first time I heard that song. And it, it remains to this day my favorite DMB song. What is your favorite DMB lyric and why? So my favorite DMB lyric is a really small, short lyric inside of number 41. And if you don't sit and listen for it, you could easily hear the song a thousand times and not really pick the lyric out of the song. But the first time I heard the lyric, it spoke to me on a very deep level. It it spoke about altruism and being selfless in your view of love, uh, forgiveness, compassion, empathy, all these things are required to truly love. It, it, the lyric reminded me of Cain and Abel, where the question was, am I my brother's keeper? And the lyric that I like answers that in a resounding yes. Yes, you are your brother's keeper. You have to look out for your brothers and sisters and hope that they do the same for you. So the lyric is simple. It's what kind of man goes by I will bring water. Uh, Such a profound statement there of altruism in such a simple and often over or misheard or, or often not heard lyric. Just the idea of questioning what sort of man walks by a brother and sister in need. And instead of walking by, I'll bring them water. That water could be forgiveness, it could be empathy, could be sympathy, but that water is love. It all boils down to all these different things. When you add them up, it adds up to love. So when I see brothers and sisters passing by somebody in one way, shape, or form, it makes me want to stop and see what that person needs the most. And if I can give that to the person, I'm going to give it to them. I will bring water. Is my favorite DMV lyric just because of how simple yet profound it is. How long have you been a DMB fan? I've been a DMB fan for, I would say, 15 years. Um, I didn't really go into overdrive with it and get involved with the family or, or anything like that until about five years in. Um, I liked their music for the first five years, but I never went to see a show for one reason or another. A lot of that was due to my mental illness. Uh, loud, Large crowds just scared the ever-living shit out of me. Um, so I didn't go to a show. I wasn't involved with the DMB family because frankly, I didn't know there was a DMB family. So 15 years or so, and, and about 10 of those have been um, that next level into the band. What does the DMB family mean to you? Uh, the DMB family is it's a brotherhood and sisterhood. For the, the people that are truly involved with it, there's a lot of charitable work. There's a lot of selfless giving. There's a lot of love bombs sent out. There's... Um, a really strong feeling of sentiment for each other and not caring how that comes across to other people. Uh, there's, a, there's a love there of the music and of each other through the music uh, that, that speaks for itself. And so I, I view the DMB family as just kind of this next level of not only understanding love through the music, 
but also practicing that love that they've learned through the music. I've yet to see another fan base anywhere of any type who truly tries to live the music that is based upon. And it's truly a special, special thing that we have here. And I think that needs to be fostered and explored and just keep the ball rolling on it. In your opinion, what is DMB On Demand and what would you like to see it become? Right now, uh, and I didn't know the answer to this until a month or two ago, um, because DMB On Demand had grown and shifted throughout the years that I, I really didn't take time to think about what it was at the heart of the matter. I spent some time thinking about this question once I asked it to other people who came on the podcast I should be able to answer those questions myself so I really started to think about it so I could get a clear vision of where we're headed and I think the and Beyond Demand is a platform that allows the DMB family to connect on a different level than they would connect with people otherwise of course, it's all based around the music and message of the Dave Matthews Band. Um, but I don't think we're any one thing right now. We're not just a podcast. We're not just a store. We're not just a place for cool graphic design and songs of the week. You know, we're not just, you know, this daily DMB song battle where people vote for their favorites and then they go head to head. Uh, these are all things that are serving as a platform or a conduit. Uh, between members of the DMB family. And as far as what I would like to see it become, I don't have any specific vision right now. I am more than content just uh, going along as we've been going. And if the opportunity to shift or grow comes through naturally and organically, then I'll follow that. But right now, I would just like to continue to be that platform for other members of the DMB family and community to connect and to practice the love that we hear all about in the music. This podcast has been listened to by so many of us in the community, and now there are multiple seasons. What has the success of the DMB On Demand podcast meant to you? The success of the podcast really comes in incremental values. When I sat down and recorded the podcast, I had this expectation of what it might end up looking like, or sounding like, rather. Um, and I was wrong. Um, each time I do an interview, I go into it thinking that I know everything I need to know about the DMB family, or about the music. And each time, I'm humbled when I interview somebody to learn about their story and how they've overcome difficulty and how they've celebrated the great joys of their life and how it's all centered around this music. And each time I'm just completely floored about how much depth there is to us, both individually and as a collective unit. Uh, it means the world to me to be able to allow others to share their story and allow others to listen to those stories. Um, it's, it's truly been humbling, but that connection uh, between me and our guest and then between the listener and the guest and I is something I, I treasure greatly. If you could choose one DMB song that every human on earth would listen to, what would it be and why? Um, I think I would probably go with Two Step if I had to pick one song for everybody to listen to. I've always had my own particular vision of that song, and um, that, that vision is of Noah on his ark. The flood had started, the ark is lifted, everything else has been washed away, and Noah is in his ark freaking the fuck out that what he did might not be enough. 
that it's only going to continue the same way humanity was before it. And there's a lot of doubt there. Um, and then his wife comes in and reassures him that what they're doing is right, that it will serve a purpose, and that we have to look out for everybody and everything. Uh, we have to have a sense of love. Um, so in that regard, when somebody is going throughout their life and feeling a sense of despair or futility, that song can remind them that it's not the actions that really matter, it's the love behind the actions and the person behind that love. So I would let everybody listen to Two Step, hoping that they could find some hope in their moments of despair and find some guiding light, so to speak, on how to practice love so that their action holds value. Looking back, what is the best moment you can think of that a DMB song impacted in the moment or gives context to? I'll go with the same moment a few people on the podcast have went with, and that would be my wedding. I uh, We picked the soundtrack for the reception and, and everything like that, and we also made a uh, CD that we gave away at the wedding that kind of had a playlist of our love that we put together together. And, you know, my wedding day, the wedding is over, we're at the reception, all these people are around and everybody's just teeming with love. And I was able to hear some of my familiar songs, Number 41, Two Step, uh, Baby Blue, You and I, or You and Me. Just being in that situation with all of those lovely people around, living and celebrating love, and hearing the music that shaped how I love was truly a remarkable experience where I just kind of sat back, got outside of myself, and looked at what was going on. And um, it was just something I cherish to have had DMV as part of the soundtrack for that day. Looking back again, what is the worst moment you can think of that a DMB song impacted in the moment or gives context to? You know, my first inclination is to go right back to number 27, but while that impacted my dark days, it wasn't really a dark event. I had been living with this conflict for so long that it was just part of who I am. If you go back to season one, um, after the guest interview, I would share a story, a personal story about DMV and, and the music and how it shaped me through my life. And in season one, on one of the episodes, I talked quite a bit about uh, being homeless, about being drugged and almost raped and being so alone in the world with nowhere to turn to. Not a home, not a car, not a friend, not a family member. I had burned every bridge there was to burn. Uh, so I found myself really, really in a state of despair for a few weeks and during that time I listened to number 41 I listened to Warehouse and I would say that Warehouse is probably the answer to this question um, again I have my own unique viewpoint like everybody does on the song Warehouse and to me Here's this guy in this warehouse losing his shit and not knowing what in the hell is going on when all of a sudden the warehouse starts to rumble and shake like an earthquake and it starts to lift up off the ground and this warehouse full of despair and confusion lifts up all the way to God 
So the person has a chance to tell God something or ask God something. And instead of asking a question, he grabs up God by his collar and points back down to earth and said, that's our blood down there. And it seems poured from the hands of angels. We trickle into the ground, leaves the warehouse bare and empty. That blows me away, that you would have a chance to rise up out of despair and confusion and angst and rise up straight to God himself. And instead of asking a question or saying something that was trivial, you grab him up and make him look down at the earth and what's going on because he needs to pay attention. He needs to do something. There needs to be more love. There needs to be more altruism. There needs to be more compassion and empathy. And all that stuff comes from the top down. It doesn't work from the bottom up. It comes from the top down, just like religion, just like politics. It all comes from the top down. And so that really, really left an impact in me, especially during the time in my life where I was in my own warehouse and it was cold and empty and confusing and spiteful and hateful at times. And I had no sense of direction. That song again made me feel okay about not just myself, but the situation that I was in and that I could love my way out of it. It may take a week, a month, a year, a decade, but that song taught me that you can love your way out of anything. And when you do, and you have a chance to talk to the person who makes or breaks that love in other people's lives, you have a duty to hold them accountable, just like you hold yourself accountable. And the measuring stick for me, especially in my darkest days, was Warehouse. Um, it, it taught me how to rise up and out of my situation, how to ask the right questions to the right people, and how to point out what's really going on so that you can assess the situation and grow out of it from a foundation of love. Uh, so that would be my lowest point and the song that really, uh, really impacted my life in that, during that time. Aside from DMB, who or what in your life brings you the most inspiration? Um, as far as people go, I would say my mother, my father-in-law, and my grandmother. It, and it was my grandfather before he passed away. He, uh, he was more of a father to me than my father ever was and helped raise me the best he could. Uh, so, like I've touched on a few times in this interview, uh, I unknowingly, well, no, that's not true. Most times I knew it, but I didn't want to burn the bridges that I burned, but I did somewhat unknowingly burn all of my bridges, family, friends, everything, every last bridge was burnt to the ground. And I didn't talk to my family for uh, quite a while years and years I was out in the wilderness on my own <clears throat> and whew, uh, emotions are, are on here um, my mom prayed for me every night I knew this um, and she actually was the person who once I started to turn myself around was the fundamental person to bring healing to my family between me and my grandparents, me and her, me and my cousins, me and my uncles and aunts, the whole nine yards. She was fundamental in, in repairing those relationships or allowing me to repair them. Uh, so for that would be my mother. Uh, my father-in-law 
is the kindest, wisest man I have ever met. Um, he lives his truth. He loves his family. He provides for his family. He does so with love and just one of the best guys I could have ever met. And frankly, I should probably tell him more uh, than I do. And, and this is a good reminder to do that. And then uh, my grandma, she has always been the anchor of our family. Even when my grandpa was alive, my grandpa went through some phases of alcoholism where he was, he was never violent, but he could be a mean drunk. I remember a lot of family plans getting canceled because I would run out of his house crying because of how he talked to my grandma or my mom or just in general. And so we wouldn't go to 4th in July or we wouldn't go to Thanksgiving or whatever the case may be. And even though he is my one and only role model because of the man he turned out to be after he got his house in order. Um, it was my grandma who never left his side. It was my grandma who was always there for her family. It was my grandma that would teach me little life lessons. Like she told me when I was young that a good life or a bad life is nothing more than a series of questions and answers. And are you gonna answer the call correctly or poorly? that's going to define your life at the end of it. Uh, she is the anchor of our family and I draw my inspiration from those three people. My mom, my grandma, and my father-in-law. If you could speak directly to all members of the Dave Matthews Band, what would you want them to know? Um, I'm not sure I'd spend so much time telling them anything. Um, I'd want to tell them thank you. I would want to tell them that their music shaped my definition of love that I tried to live by. Maybe tell them that their music had seen me through a great big pit of despair and taught me how to live life the best way possible, but mostly I would have questions and kind of going off on a tangent really quick. For season three, I think we're actually going to be able to have an opportunity to sit down with one or two of the band members and interview them. And I think what I would tell them is what I plan on asking them when we interview, I would want to know, so through this podcast, I've learned what the music means to our family members, our DMB family members. I would like to know, I would like to turn the tables on that and ask the band, what is it like to have this community thriving and alive at the core of your fan base? Uh, what has the DMB family done or impacted you and, and how so. I would want to know what does it feel like when you're walking out on stage and you have those butterflies in your stomach even though you've done it thousands of times. What's going on through your mind when you're walking out to an empty stage being ready to lift off uh, via the concert? Uh, I would want to know what composing this music means to them. Has it taught them anything? Has it let them heal past their own issues? Uh, I would just have a pretty long set of questions to ask them more than I would want to tell them anything. If you had to pick three song titles that best told your story, what songs would they be? I'll go with uh, the ones that I've already mentioned. They seem to be the most fitting. So I would say Two Step. Uh, two Step helped me understand that love is not enough, that love has to be mixed with all of these human emotions and given freely. Um, and when you do that, even in pits of despair, you can find hope and you can find family. 
uh, I would say warehouse uh, best explains what I was going through during the worst points of my life. If you could listen and understand warehouse, you would have a pretty good idea of what I was like at my lowest point. And then number 27, if you listen to number 27 and realize the conflict that's there, but that it's okay as long as you know your way home, uh, whether that be in the arms of a woman or a man or whatever is home to you, as long as you're on that path, you're all good if you're genuinely trying to walk home, whatever home is to you. So those would be the three songs I think that if I could play for somebody and maybe lay a little bit of context down, that they would understand me um, on a fairly deep level. Are there any bands or musicians other than DMB that have had an impact on your life? Oh, absolutely. Um, Amos Lee is the first one that comes to mind. Again, Amos Lee does a lot of blues kind of songs, um, a little bit of a folk kind of tinge to it. And he, he sings about love as well. Uh, Josh Ritter is a singer-songwriter with a profound catalog. And while I don't like every one of his songs, the lyricism he produces is unlike anything I've ever heard. Um, and then the final one I would pick would be the original gangster, Leonard Cohen. Leonard Cohen, if you get a chance, look up Leonard Cohen, the gambler, on YouTube, and you'll see a video from the 60s, just him and a guitar, talking about all the cards he's played throughout his life and how he's played those cards and what they've meant. And when he gets to the end of the song, there's literally a single tear that bubbles out over his eye, and it just blows me away. He, he wrote my favorite song of all time, Hallelujah. You've heard different people cover that, Damien Rice, I think America's Got Talent, sang it a couple times. Um, there's been, it's been covered by uh, a lot of people. Rufus Wainwright, um, and it's just my, my favorite song in the world. And, and Leonard Cohen is probably my second to Dave Matthews, or maybe even equal to Dave Matthews. Leonard Cohen um, and Josh Ritter are two artists that impact me profoundly. Well, thank you for doing this, Drew. I think your passion and raw emotion are going to really impact listeners and show them a whole new side of you that has helped us understand the strong, dedicated friend you really are. I just have one last question. How can listeners find you, and is there anything you want to shout out? Our listeners can find me Essentially now, they can just Google DMB On Demand, and you'll see the Twitter account, the Facebook groups, the website, the store, the podcast. It's all right there in the first one or two pages um, when you Google DMB On Demand. So that would be the easiest way to find us on every platform, on uh, every level. The only thing I would like to, I guess, promote is sort of what I've been the thread that's held everything we've talked about today together, and that is the definition and the action of love as experienced through the music of Dave Matthews' band. It took me a long time to realize that it wasn't that love wasn't enough, because love is enough if you're really loving. But to really be loving, you have to look at your enemies and have the same love for them as a person that you do with your family. You have to have the same empathy, compassion, and altruism for the lowest members of society, just the same way you have them for family or important figures in your life. Uh, so I would really just ask that the next time you listen to DMB, which for most people I'm sure will be the same day that they're listening to this. I just ask that you listen to it with an open heart 
and really try to understand the portrait of love they are painting in their lyrics and music. And then take that and do what the DMB family does so well, and that's put it into action. When it's tough, that's when it needs to be there the most. So listen to the music with an open heart, open mind, hear what it's saying about all of the components that need to be present to truly love, and then live that love, um, not for yourself, but for the sake of others. That would be my one plea or shout out or request uh, for anybody listening to this. Um, is that all the questions, Jesse? That's all the questions. Okay, perfect. So, folks, sit tight. Um, after this segment ends, we're going to go into our closing segment called The Way I Heard It. And that's a chance for us to bring on members of the DMB family and let them share what a song means to them. And to close out season two with this interview, we're going to have Jesse come on um, for the final segment. And he's going to be doing the, the Way I Heard It segment to close out season two. So sit tight for that it's coming right up uh, jesse i wanted to thank you for coming back on and turning the tables and interviewing me i'm excited to hear what you have to say and the way i heard it segment and i'm equally as excited to to get you back onto the podcast to get to know you a little bit better and on a personal level uh, in season three so folks sit tight and We'll talk to you again when season three comes out. Welcome to The Way I Heard It. This is a segment for you, the listener. Each episode, I reach out to a handful of listeners to ask them about a specific song and what it means to them and how they apply the message of that song in their own life. Some will make you laugh, others may make you cry with empathy, but each one is straight from the heart. So let's get right into this week's edition of The Way I Heard It. Stolen Away is a song that I can feel right from the first few drum beats because it's one of those DMB songs that I have tied into a certain time in my life that holds a lot of emotion for me. It's the time I met my girlfriend, Alondra. I wish I could say that our love story started just like every fairy tale, where we met, hit it off, and then knew right away that we were meant for each other. Ours was a bit more complicated than that. I met Alondra two weeks after the first and worst breakup of my entire life. It was a three-year, long-distance relationship that went sour, and since it was my first relationship, I didn't know what to do. I was an anchor lost at sea, desperate to escape the cloud of grief that seemed to follow me everywhere. I started painting as a side hobby at that time, and the first thing I painted was a single island at sea with a red sky at sunrise. In that sky, I painted black, winged beasts circling the island like vultures. It looked like a mess, but to me, it explained to the world how I was feeling. Every day, from sunrise to sunset, the black beasts of grief flew overhead, constantly reminding me that I was alone and that there was no escape to my pain. After a few weeks of wallowing in grief, I decided to try dating again. It was a bad idea in hindsight, I know, but I was willing to try anything. I downloaded a dating app and started there, talking to a few people here and there. None of them lived near me, but long distance never bothered me, so I didn't mind. After talking to several different people, I came across a girl with the most beautiful brown eyes I had ever seen. Her picture captivated me. Just looking at her made me feel more emotion than I had in weeks at that point, and I just had to talk to her. Alondra lived in Chicago at the time and was only a year younger than me. I was a freshman in college, and she was a senior in high school. From that first moment, we hit it off. 
We spent the next week talking on and off, learning about each other. We were so shy and afraid that the most we could do aside from texting is send each other 10 second recordings of our voices. But for us, that meant the world. Just when I thought I had found someone new to start my next chapter with, my grief reminded me that I wasn't ready. My ex-girlfriend, the one who had dumped me a few weeks prior, came back, seemingly wanting to get back together. Despite how far I'd come with Alondra, my broken heart thought that the only way to mend itself was to go back to my ex. So, I made a stupid decision. I told Alondra I wasn't ready and had to go back to the person who had caused me all this pain. In hindsight, it was for the best, because I wasn't ready to love Alondra the way she deserved while I was going through so much grief. In the end, it all came back to bite me, because my ex walked back on her decision and decided to leave again the very next day. Now I had nothing, and pushed away the only other chance I had at redemption. Months passed and things weren't getting better for me. I was still alone, depressed, and anguished. Despite what happened, Alondra never blocked me from social media, so we were able to still watch each other from afar. I would always get so excited when she posts something, because it meant I got to see how she was doing and what new adventure she was getting into. We would both only go so far as to comment something small on each other's posts. And that's where the story connects to Stolen Away on 55th and 3rd. The lyrics, I saw you there dancing, but I was afraid I might get in the way, reflect how I was feeling during that time. I would see how happy Alondra was with her new life, and even though I had that urge to talk to her again, I never did. I was too afraid that I would get in the way and hurt her again. Things were like this for a year and a half. The urge to talk to her again continued to grow even after all that time had passed, but I still stayed away. I ended up on another dating app, and that's when it happened. We matched. She dressed differently and had changed her hair, but she was still that same girl I had held in my heart from afar for so long. I mean you look different, but you haven't changed. We picked up right where we left off, this time without grief holding me back. Funny to think how the time gets away. Funny how you take me right back again. She stole me away, just as she had the first time. Now I could dance with her, and I was never going back again. We've been together for two and a half years now, and even though our first two years was long distance, she officially moved out here to Massachusetts a few months ago, and we are now living together. I wouldn't change how things ended up for the world. Whenever I want to remember our story of how we lost our way and then found it again, all I need to do is listen to Stolen Away on 55th and 3rd.